Well, open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm a little froggy tonight, so um, don't anybody gig me, okay? 2 Kings chapter number 4, we're preaching through the book. Well, we're actually preaching through the life of Elisha by now. We call this large series, The Mistakes of the Mighty, and we started with King Saul and King David, and then we went to Elijah, and then we went to Elisha. Every one of them made mistakes in their ministry, and yet they were great men of God. Uh, You will make mistakes in your Christian life. You just will. Uh, Yet you can still be a great Christian for God. And so I want you to notice tonight that we might ought to take serious this message because we could have to experience this real near, okay? Elisha came again to Gilgal. This is verse 38. And there was a dearth in the land, dearth meaning famine, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. He said to his servants, set on the great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out to the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds, his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass as they were eating. They cried of the pottage, and they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there's death in the pot, and they could not eat thereof. But he said, then bring meal, and he cast it into the pot, and he said, pour out for the people with them eat, and there was no harm in the pot. And there came a man from Baal Shalashah, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits. What kind of fruits? First fruits. 20 loaves of barley. And full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, give to the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, watch, did I set this before a hundred men? He said again, give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. So he set it before them and they did eat and left according to to the word of the Lord. And when it says according to the word of the Lord, to me that means, and that's that. Amen. Amen. So let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God to help us as we study. Father, it's a a joy, Lord, to be in your house tonight. It's a joy to be called of God. It's a joy to give most of my life to doing what I'm doing. And I pray, God, that you'll let me do that until I'm taken up. And, Lord, I hope to go up when you call us up. And, Lord, I know I can pass through these old, this old flesh just as easy as I can pass through the clouds. But either way, God, I pray you'll let us stay faithful to the end. Now, God, bless the people who showed up tonight. There's some folks who may need something special tonight do it in their life and in their heart help them to embrace it by faith for it's in Jesus name I pray amen Amen. tonight I want to talk to you on the subject of faith in famine 
faith in famine. Now, in these verses I read to you tonight, verses 38 through 44, there are two segments here. There is, first of all, the segment of protection. There is, second of all, the segment of provision. But there are also not only two segments here, but there are two trains of thought here. First of all, the first thought is spiritual famine. The second thought is physical famine. Uh, Dearth doesn't just mean a, a little dry spell. Dearth meant a severe land-covering famine. That's what it was. Now, no, notice how God, through human hands, meet our needs even in times of famine. Did you know God can use somebody to help you? God uses the human hands that he created, by the way, and he created them for his glory. And many times he uses the human hands and meets our needs in time of famine. Let me give you two Psalms tonight to record in your promise book if you have one tonight but psalm number 33 verse 18 says behold the eye of the lord is upon them that fear him upon them that hope in his mercy that means he's watching us tonight right right now look look why he's watching us to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine now look at another. Just turn over a page or two of chapter 37 of Psalms. Chapter 37 of Psalms. And notice verses 18 and 19. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright. That means he knows how long the believer's going to live. He knows right now when you're going to die and when I'm going to die. Lord knoweth the days of the upright. And their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And by the way, that's the time we live in. We ought not to be ashamed of who we are, what we believe, and how we live. Look what he said. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. I believe those days of famine are coming to America. I believe they may come to your house, they may come to my house, they may come to our town, they may come to our banks, they may come to the uh, Wall Street, uh, but I believe there's going to be a famine in America. Now, it'll be far different than anything we've ever experienced before because when Famine has come before. We have been at least partially prepared in much of the country to be able to survive and live on our own because we knew how to do things with our hands. But today, we don't know how to do anything with our hands except punch a button. That's all we know. Click, 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 and that's all we know. And we hit send, and that's all we know. And we'll have a hard time, folks, if we don't have a strong faith. We're all in that category, right? So let's look at, first of all, the protection of the prophets, verse 38 through 41. The first thing we see in this protection is the hunger of the prophets in verse number 38. There was a dearth. Sons of prophets were sitting before him, and they were hungry. So he said, 
set a pot on the stove, sieve the pottage for the sons of the prophets. Boil up the pottage, the soup for the, obviously they already had a little bit of something in that soup. So he said, let's, let's get this stuff hot for these boys and feed these hungry preachers. So Elisha returned to this Bible college at Gilgal, found a hundred students, verse 43 says, they were hungry, no food to fill their hunger pains. And so in this preacher school, these boys needed to be fed. But their hunger now, spiritual as well as physical, became this. Notice it says they were sitting before him. That meant that they sit before him to hear him teach. When Elisha came by to their school at Gilgal, they would gather and sit before him and hear him teach. This was a school to teach prophets and Elisha was the great headmaster of all four that's mentioned in the Bible. But their hunger, not only, it was spiritual as well as physical, but for some in times of famine, here's what I find at Baptist churches anyway, when the famine comes to your home or your life or your billfold or your bank account or whatever it is, whatever kind, where it's physical, where it's financial, where it's emotional, we quit setting before him. Instead of setting before him more, we set before him less. And we wonder why things don't get any better in our life because we had set before him. They were sitting before him. For some, in times of famine, the spiritual goes first. When Jesus made this statement, if you want your needs met, your spiritual hunger must be met first. Matthew 6, verses 31 and 33, he makes it very, very clear that if you want to be filled spiritually, or if you want to be ready physically, then you've got to be filled spiritually. And so that's the hunger of the prophets. Now, famine comes to the land for this reason. They were, uh, it's because of God's displeasure. Most of the time, when you see a famine in the land, in the Bible, it's because of God's displeasure. You say, where do you find that? Ezekiel 14 Verse number 21. And then back up sometime and read Ezekiel chapter twenty-one, uh, chapter 14, verse number 14. But Ezekiel 14, 21 describes the way or one of the four things that God uses when he's displeased with his people. If you'll notice, they're almost the same all the way through the Bible. And Ezekiel even goes on to say this, that you have stepped so far away from me that even if Moses, I mean Noah and Moses and the prophets were right here, they could pray all day long. It wouldn't change a thing. You've gone too far in your famine. You understand what I'm saying tonight? You see, when famine comes spiritually, it comes for the same reason. When you're messed up spiritually, it's because you've displeased God. 
And a famine will come to your soul. And a famine will come to your mind. And a famine will come to your heart. You won't win people to Jesus Christ. You'll quit tithing. You'll quit obeying God. There'll be you'll start leaving off this and leaving off that. Sunday school will go, and discipleship training will go, choir will go, and different things will start dropping out of your life. Next thing you know, you are starved spiritually. That's what happens here. Today, I believe our famine is spiritual primarily in America. I like what Amos, I don't like it, but it is exactly where we stand today. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11, he says this, Behold, the days come. Now, they're coming, he said, that I will send a famine in the land. Now, listen to what God says. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. And the day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. The millennials will starve. You see what the millennials are struggling with today is they're starved spiritually and they're trying to find something to fill it other than what Jesus said would. You see, they're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They just want everything to go their way. Folks, it don't happen like that. You've got to sit before him and hunger and thirst after righteousness. And God says, if you do that, you will be filled. You will be filled. So today, I don't think our famine is a preaching, even though it's getting less and less. We're not seeing nearly the preaching that we've had in the years gone by. Preacher after preacher has bit the dust. Preacher after preacher has compromised. Preacher after preacher has let the church control him. Preacher after preacher has took a contemporary view because it's more convenient for his church. Preacher after preacher has quit preaching expositorily the word of God, line upon line and precept upon precept. They get up and give a little talk. And so what we have is not just a hunger preaching we got a hungry hearing folks listen we preach ourselves to death here and I know there's better preaching you can get you're going to get it in March but last March half of us didn't come don't say you're not getting fed I don't hear if you're not getting fed that's just because you're not thirsty and you're not hungry Because if you get thirsty and you get hungry and you get under the word of God, you shall be filled. And I'll guarantee you one thing, there's better preachers, but I'll tell you what, they ain't got a better book to preach than I do. And you'll get as much of this here anywhere else in this part of the country. And so don't, don't, don't try to throw that mess on me that you are starved because you're not being spiritually fed. That's the most sickening thing. Uh, you know, the last time I heard that was from somebody that probably couldn't even tell you the first book in the Bible. That's had to have more counseling and more people to handle her, more to help them, and yet they're starved. They're just not getting fed. So they're not very hungry. They're not very thirsty, and here's the reason, because they hadn't been very obedient. 
And so they slipped on out of here. And it don't take long. They'll move on to where they don't have to hear that stuff. Now look, there was a famine of hearing. People won't hear because they can't hear. They never get satisfactory message because they've closed their ears. It just goes through. And then there's a famine of preaches, preaching when churches continually displease God. God's not going to give them a real firm voice. Even if they seek one and pay one, they won't hear him. They won't hear him. You can't buy God's man. You can't. You can't pay them enough to be what God wants them to be. They got to be what God wants them to be before they get any pay. <laughs> and listen, I never, I never have asked a church, never even asked that I for to any kind of salary in my life. I just prayed if it was God's will for me to be there, I thought He'd take care of me. A few times, I almost thought I'd missed it. But God showed up on time. This was one of the places when I first got here. God, I may have messed up here. I may have come to the wrong place. Looks like there had been a famine here. But all of a sudden, we started getting a few folks who hungered and thirst after righteousness. And then some folks said, we don't like this kind of preaching. And they moved on out. And when they moved out, others moved in. And they kept moving in and kept moving in and kept moving in. And they're still moving out. It'll always be that way till Jesus comes. Because when you get worldly, you don't want to hear preaching. There'll be a famine in the land. Y'all with me? See, uh, we need, uh, Elisha told Gehazi to put supper on. and So there seemed to be nothing to put on. <laughs> we don't really have much supper, even though he told him to go do it. And you remember when Jesus, in Matthew 14, 16, when Jesus had 5,000 hungry stomachs there that was growling and waiting to be fed, and Jesus said, give them to eat. And the disciples looked at one another, what are we going to give them, a rock? We've got nothing here. So they began to scour the, little, the group that had gathered on that hillside, maybe 15,000 times you count women and children, maybe more than that. I can just see it when I go there now. I can just see those hillsides around the Sea of Galilee absolutely filled with people to hear the Lord Jesus Christ teach. And here they are all day long, maybe 30 miles from home and maybe a two-day walk to get there. And here they are hungry. And they found a little boy with five loaves and two fishes. And he fed that 5,000 and had enough left over to microwave the next three weeks leftovers so I, I, that's what that's what Elisha says you know let's put some things on in times of spiritual famine our faithful few need continual teaching in other words I don't care how faithful you are you don't ever get beyond the point to where you need to hear preaching you need it you must have it and we must keep setting the table for people that are hungry keep setting the table Week after week, week after week, we're setting the table. Why? People's hungry. They got to be fed. And so here the table's set. Don't look like there's too much on it. And so I want you to notice that the hastiness of the prophets, the second thing. We saw the hunger of the prophets. Now look at the hastiness of the prophets. One went out into the field. 
when he heard the command, he thought if no one else will do anything, I will. Now, no doubt he had the best intentions. He was a very well-meaning young man, but it almost killed a hundred preachers. Y'all with me? You see, some people have a real quick zeal to come into the church and fill the pot. This is what we need to get us going. This is what we need to get us going. And so they'll add things and, and push things a little further and cross the line or get right up to the line to do something to get the church stirred up. And it's usually flesh and world and compromise. But if they're not careful, it'll result in the death of the church. Jesus said you can discern the signs of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of my coming. You see, God's people ought to have some discernment about them. First Thessalonians said that we ought to not quench the spirit and prove all things. There's a lot of folks who's wanting to throw a bunch of, a, a, a bunch of poisonous gourds in our soup so our church will die. Don't you be a poisonous gourd. Y'all with me? And so the hastiness of that prophet. Now, he went, first of all, without divine commission. He didn't wait on Elisha to tell him what to do. Elisha didn't tell him to go. Elisha may not even know he went. He may have slipped out on his own. He wouldn't have listened if Elisha had told him not to go anyway because he'd made up his mind he's going to fill up the pot. He is going to be super preacher that night. And so you find people in the church just like that. They'll see it. They want to see everyone needs is met. Everybody's got to have what they want. That's how we build our churches today. We survey the community, say, what do you want in the church? What do you want in the church? What do you want in the church? And we build our churches for what our community wants. Well, I'd just like to ask sometime, what does Jesus want? Last I checked, it was his church, not ours. We don't get to build it. He said, I'll build it. And so here, this hasty guy, even though he means well, he was too Hasty. Be careful. If you get too hasty without a commission from God, it could kill something. Be careful. Could kill you spiritually. Kill somebody else spiritually. No doubt when he saw these wild goers, <laughs> he, he just knew God had led him to them. Most of the people I deal with when they do something, they always justify their actions by saying this. Well, I believe that God led me to do it. You see, they do that because it's a spiritual mask for a foolish decision. Or they'll say this. Well, I prayed about it. That's a spiritual mask for a foolish decision. They know those are things you, you can't deny. You can't counsel those things. You know why? They've shut their ears to hearing. All they want to do is be a rotten gourd. They're going to collect them and they're going to throw it in the church. Others always has ideas. They 
no more than the leadership of the church and it only frustrates the church. They seem to know better than any leaders and it just frustrates the church. Why? Because we throw gourds in the soup. No doubt when he saw this, though, he was all excited about those gourds. And secondly, not only did he go without divine commission, but he went without discerning conviction. His main problem was he didn't know wild gourds when he saw them. He couldn't tell a wild gourd that was poisonous from a good gourd that wasn't. He didn't have any discerning conviction about him. And so, what does he do? He quickly embraces death, fills his lap full of them, and goes in and says, look what I got. And he throws them in the pot. And he almost killed a hundred preachers physically, and this could lead to spiritually. So, notice something else. Notice that those wild gourds seemed to be plentiful. He got a lap full of them. Now, obviously, he didn't, he wasn't too smart a guy. Or at least he wasn't, certainly wasn't walking with God and listening to God because obviously others knew about these gourds because they obviously seemed to be in abundance and they never brought them in. But he saw them and he couldn't tell the difference between a bad one and a good one. So he was all excited because they're so plentiful. Oh, there's gourds over there. We just need to do this in our church and all them gourds will come in. And I've heard that. I'm sick of it. They seem to be plentiful. You see, when there's a famine of hearing God's word, Satan has an abundant supply of wild gourds. Oh, he'll get those wild gourds and he'll throw them out there. And if you're not careful, it will kill families. It will kill classes. It will kill choirs. It will kill a preacher. It'll kill a church. Wild gourds. Satan's got plenty of them. And see, he also sees that the bad gourds closely resemble the good gourds. You see, some of the things we think's going to make the pot flavorable makes the pot that makes the pot terminal. Y'all didn't get that. You see, he throwed that in, shredded them up. Said, this is going to make this stuff taste really good. It's going to be better than that dry bean soup we've been having. We're going to get these gourds in there, and these gourds going to make it look good, and then I'm going to be really something because we had the best meal we've had in a long time down here in this old preacher school. His problem was, though, he couldn't tell the bad from the good because they looked so much alike. Did you know the wheat and the tares look just alike? And if you're not discerning of the Lord, it's hard to tell the wheat from the tares. He said, what do you do? Do you try to dig them out of your church? Nope. Jesus said, let them grow together. Just let them grow together. He said, I'll send my angels and I'll pluck them out when the time comes and I'll lay them down and bundle them up and burn them in fire. 
those bad gourds will kill a church, it'll kill a life, it'll kill a soul. And so you need to do what 1 Thessalonians 5 does, prove all things. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are of God. I'm going to tell you, sometimes there'll be somebody coming to our church or somebody coming to my office or somebody coming to me with an idea and they'll throw that out of me and I, I, mean, I mean immediately a red flag will go up in my head. And I'm not about to tell them at that moment what my decision is. Because there's something not right about that gourd. And so you have to decide whether this is a good gourd or a bad gourd. And I'll just be honest, there's a few mistakes I've made along the way. There's ministries I've started or people we've uh, hired or things we've done. And, and, and there was a mistake. There was a bad gourd. And you know, sometimes a good gourd can start out a good gourd and somebody can infect them with a bad gourd and what used to be good turns out to be bad. But I want you to notice that, now look at the, third, look at the fourth thing. You see, the helplessness of the prophets in verse number 40. They didn't know death was in the pot. They knew it was in the bowl. They couldn't tell it was in the pot. They only knew it when it was put in the bowl. Y'all see the difference? They knew it in their mouth. It looked good. It looked like it would taste good. It must have smelled good. But they couldn't tell it in the pot until they put it in their mouth. You see, that's why kids will eat dirt. They'll eat dirt. They'll put anything in their mouth. You say, now, don't you? Don't you put that in your mouth. That's all they need right there. That puts them in high gear to get that thing in their mouth some way or another. I don't care how nasty, how dirty, how filthy, how many germs are swarming around it. They're going to get it in their mouth. I'd be working in the garden. I'd look back, Sharon, and they'd be eating dirt. We didn't have much else left to eat. She was eating dirt. But you see, we got a lot of Christians like that. They won't taste the word of God so it can bless them and they can enjoy it. They can't understand how, how it comes out of the pot and into the mouth. And when it comes into the, out of the bowl into the mouth, it ought to taste good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. But she said they, they'd rather go and, and get some of that old bad gourd and they don't know the difference. And so it kills them spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, congregationally. When we mess up, we can mess up many people. Fourthly, look at the hope of the prophets. Verse 41. Elisha now was expected to straighten things out. So, Elisha cast in the meal, and the pottage was saved. Now, this was a miracle, of course. Elisha did twice the recorded miracles that Elijah did that was recorded. This was one of them. He performed a miracle. He took some bad pottage 
a bad bowl of pottage. And he didn't try to filter it out. He said, go get me some meal. In other words, we need another ingredient in this thing to kill that death and give it life. And so, when God gets a hold to our church and God gets a hold to your life, what he wants to do is to take the word of God where you've been poisoned with everything in this world and pour it in you so when you started to go bad, God could make you good. That's what he's saying right here. That's the miracle. It takes a miracle to do that. You say, well, I can do it on my own. No, you can't. Takes a miracle. Once you've already tasted in that bowl, you've got death in you. And it has to come out. The only one way for it to come out, God has to perform a miracle. And he does that when we understand we don't want a famine of the word of God. We want to hear what you say, and we want to do what you say, and we're ready to do that. Just get this dying spirit out of me. Just get this death out of our church. Get this death out of my class. Get this death out of my life. And so that's what happened, and that's what Elisha did. He protected them from the wild gourds. I know sometimes some of you don't always agree with every decision I make. Sometimes I don't agree with the decisions I make. But I spot death pretty easy. And I smell it sometimes coming. And I smelt it coming. God helped me to be just, have just enough discernment to know when somebody was about to throw a bad gourd into the pot. Somebody comes along with a new scheme or a new idea and it glitters and it's glamorous. It's a lap full. Looks like we're going to eat real good tonight. But there's death in the pot. How easy death we can find will attach itself to us. And would have killed us. Did you know any of us could die at any minute? You could take a trip in your car and never make it home. Now, you could even drive down the streets and a bullet come through the wall of your car and hit your little child and kill them. Innocent as they can be. But there was death. And I tell you, there's two things I want to say. Church, would you help me be aware of wild gourds? Especially those of unbelief. Especially those that has no faith about it. Especially those that has no book about it. Listen, I don't care how much you want to do something. If the book says don't do it and the will of God says don't do it, you better not do it. There's death in the pot if you do. Number two, church, be sure you know what you're putting in your mouth. When somebody wants to stop pouring some gossip in your ear, 
or pouring some hatred about somebody in your ear or telling you stories of people they hadn't forgiven or or whatever it might be or or bragging about their old sinful life and they really think it was kind of cool to be a gourd. Folks, I'm going to tell you, I hate the fact that I was a gourd. You find somebody who brags about being a gourd, you get away from them. Leave them alone. I don't care how many texts they send you. I don't care how many tweets they send. Even if it's come from Donald Trump, don't answer. So, first of all, beware of wild gourds, especially those of unbelief. And be sure you know what you're putting into your mouth. Be careful what you start because anything is easier to start than it is to stop.